Well, as I mentioned this briefly uh, before the prayer, as you know, we've spent the first five weeks in January of 2020 talking about the vision that we have here at Redeemer. Just to remind you, it's not a vision of our own invention. It didn't result from weeks of brainstorming or whiteboarding or some sort of an intensive uh, weekend retreat. Instead, it's a vision that just comes to us from the Word of God. It's His revelation, and that's what a vision has to be. And the vision that we have attempted to to capture in, in the briefest way possible is our new tagline for the church, Becoming Community in Christ. As you know, each week we talked about a word, a particular word of that vision, and then we got to go next door and equip and process that together. What are the implications of this word of the vision? What are the applications of it? And now that that's done, and and those first important steps have been taken, we, we come now to the necessity to actually implement this vision from the Lord in the culture in which we live. And that's going to be a huge challenge for us. We've got to implement God's unchanging revelation A revelation that is transcultural because it is over and above all cultures in all places in all times. We've got to implement that in a culture that's constantly changing. In a culture where the gap between God's vision for people and our culture's vision for people, that gap is getting wider and wider and wider. So we have a challenge before us. This morning we're going to look... uh, at Hebrews chapter 11. The last time I preached from these verses was back on November 9th, 2008. Not the same sermon, but the same passage. And think about the huge change that's taken place since then. Barack Obama had just been elected president five days earlier. In 2008, former President Obama said, I believe marriage is between a man and a woman. I'm not in favor of gay marriage. He told megachurch pastor Rick Warren in 2008, I believe that marriage is the union between a man and a woman. Now, for me as a Christian, it's also a sacred union. God is in the mix. By 2012, he had reversed his opinion in favor of same-sex marriage. And in June of 2015, not even seven years later, The White House was lit in rainbow colors supporting the Supreme Court ruling allowing same-sex marriage nationally. Now, don't get all ruffled. This is not political commentary one way or the other. I just go through that history to highlight the fact that big change comes quickly, right? Big cultural change comes quickly. We currently have in the highest office of our land a man who is a self-proclaimed capitalist. At least as of this moment, the the forerunner, the forerunning opponent to him is a man who is a self-proclaimed socialist. Will we be required to move from capitalism to socialism by January? We we don't know. But the point is that big change is is, is potentially coming. And so if we are still under the assumption or holding out hope that if change does come, 
It always comes slowly. We better give up that hope. And here we are in this quickly changing culture with our vision of becoming community in Christ. Taken from a book that's 2,000 years old. How are we going to hold on to it? How are we going to implement it? Well, our success on implementing this vision from the Lord depends on how you and I view ourselves in relation to our culture. This morning, we're going to look at just one step that you and I can take, that we must take to keep hold of and to implement our vision in a changing culture. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to take them and turn in the New Testament to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. I'm sorry I didn't get the page number for the, the Pew Bibles, but they are there if you need to use one. If not, turn in your own Bible or on your phone <laughs> to Hebrews chapter 11. And when you found your place, I want to ask you to stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 8, this is the word of the Lord. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as a, in a foreign land, and living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word to us. The hope it gives us, the orientation it gives us, the perspective that it gives us, not only on you, but on ourselves and on our culture and how we are to live in it. Pray that you would bless us the power of your spirit and your word with clarity, thinking, and thought, how it is that we should live in this world. For Jesus' sake, in whose name we pray, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. And I will forgive you that no one whistled at me this morning. Thank you so much. I knew someone would do that. You and I have got to see ourselves as foreigners, strangers in our culture. Look again in verse 9. 
God's word tells us that by faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. The NIV translates the verse that Abraham lived like a stranger in a foreign country. The New Living Translation says that he was a stranger and the New American Standard says that Abraham lived as an alien. Foreigner, alien, and stranger. Now look in verse 13. And you see the same words repeated. They were strangers and exiles on the earth. So the author of Hebrew uses three distinct Greek words that we translate variously as stranger or alien or exile or sojourner or pilgrim to emphasize the different attitudes that Abraham had toward his own culture, toward his life in this world. The first word translated alien means to inhabit a place as a foreigner. And it emphasizes the fact that an alien lives in a place, an alien lives among people of that place, but he never holds citizenship there. And so Abraham, the man who by faith believed God, the man who by faith followed God, was okay with having no real sense of belonging in the culture in which he lived. No citizenship. The second word, emphasizes the experience of unfamiliarity. We translate it stranger. And so as a stranger, you look around a place, you look around a culture, nothing seems familiar, nothing seems comfortable, nothing seems to fit you. So Abraham, the man who by faith believed in God, the man who by faith followed God, was okay with being uncomfortable with not fitting in, with the culture being unfamiliar to him. The third word, translated exile or pilgrim, comes from a word which means to stay for a short time in a strange place, to reside temporarily. And so it emphasizes the temporary nature of being in a place. And so Abraham, the man who by faith believed in God, the man who by faith followed God, was okay with the things in this life being temporary, unsettled. This was Abraham's experience in the world. When God called him, Abraham lived 50 miles south of Babylon or, or 100 miles south of the modern-day city of Baghdad. And by faith, his travels took him 600 miles northeast. When he got there, his travels took him seven hundred more miles straight south. If you think of the size of Europe today, if you think about the different languages of Europe and the different foods and the different cultures, even between countries who, who share borders, we can begin to understand what life was like for Abraham as he traveled through the, these many miles through different nations and through different cultures for the rest of his life after he in faith believed in God. Abraham was called to leave behind him what was comfortable and familiar and safe. He was called to live in places that he would never really belong, places that would never seem familiar, places in which he would never fit or be comfortable, places that were only temporary. He would put down no roots. 
And so part and parcel with that way of living come all the insecurities and vulnerabilities and fears that come from being a stranger or a foreigner or an alien. But this was God's call on Abraham's life. And Abraham accepted that call. Why did God do it this way? Why did God determine that the promised land would be the promised land? That he would give Abraham, and not some other land, some place that was familiar, the place in which Abraham already lived? I can't answer that question. We've talked about this morning already. God is a mysterious God, and his ways are mysterious to us. But I do wonder this. If God wanted Abraham to experience that the unsettled feelings of temporary tent living and of constant travel and unfamiliarity and discomfort and never belonging, if those things aren't a vital part of living by faith in this world. Because unsettled and insecure and vulnerable people are usually more dependent on God than those who live in comfortable, controlled, predictable environments. And dependence on God is a good thing. Dependence on God is a good thing. I'm going to say that until about 20 people say amen. Dependence on God is always a good thing. And when our feelings or life experiences drive us to God, we are always the winner. Because the more time we spend with God, the better off we are. I think I'll say that again until about 20 people say amen. The more time we spend with God, the better off we are. And if we are honest, we'll admit that when we're settled and comfortable... When we believe that we have it all together, our hunger for God is not as great as when we are unsettled and things are unfamiliar and uncomfortable. So what a blessing. What a blessing from God it was for Abraham to be dependent on this God who called him. And of course, this story is much bigger than Abraham. It's about all people who live by faith in God. Look in verse 13. It calls him out. It says, all, these all died in faith. And these are the people that have already been mentioned in this chapter, 11, who had faith in God. There was Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah. But it also includes the descendants of Abraham. Look in verse 12. They're described there. They are as many as the stars of the heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All these people were living by faith. Look in verse 13. These all died not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. So, it wasn't just Abraham who was called to live as an alien or a stranger or a foreigner. It's all people who have faith in the one and only true and living God. Now look with me at the end of verse 13. And what all these people of faith did. It tells us there that they acknowledged they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And so here we go with that first step that you and I have to take 
if we are ever going to implement our vision in our culture, we must acknowledge who we are. And with that admission comes great release. With that admission comes finally letting go of who we are not to be. I think of Alcoholics Anonymous and that famous line with which we're all familiar. The person stands up and says, hello, my name is, and I am an alcoholic. That might be a difficult moment, but it's also a moment of release. You know, no more justification for living the way you should not live. Step four of the 12 steps in Alcoholics Anonymous is to make a searching and fearless moral inventory of yourself. That's what you and I need to do this morning. Not because we're addicted to alcohol, but often because we're addicted to our culture. We need to take inventory. Do you live like a native in a culture where you should be an alien? Why? Take inventory. Do you live like a friend to our culture who should be a stranger to it? Why? Take inventory. Do you live like a permanent resident in this world as if this world is all there is when you should be living like you're leaving? Why? Take inventory. Because those who follow Christ to our spiritual senses, the sights, the smells, the sounds, the tastes of this world must become increasingly strange and unfamiliar and even unappealing to us. This word translated, acknowledge, in verse 13. In secular Greek, it just meant to say the same thing, to agree in statement. It meant to speak the same language. As used in Scripture, it means to concede that something is factual or true, to share a common view or to be of common mind about a matter. And so for you and for me, this means that we must finally agree with God about this. We must be of a common mind with Him. We must speak the same language as God in this matter that we are not to be at home in our culture. That's not easy for us to acknowledge. Those of us who spend so much of our time and so much of our energy and our resources attempting to fit into this world. Too often we value and therefore we strive to attain the same empty things that people who do not follow Christ value and strive to attain. Too often we speak the same language and espouse the same arguments and lofty opinions and vain philosophies that people who do not follow Christ espouse. Instead of speaking the language of God and thinking God's thoughts after Him, it makes it so much easier to fit in and to find acceptance. But that is not God's call 
for those who follow Christ. That's not the relationship that God says that we should have with the culture in which we live. And this world word acknowledge has another facet. It isn't just a, a begrudging agreement with God. Okay, God, if you say so. No, it's more than that. It also has this element of, of bold proclamation. I am not of this world. We don't take this step. We don't make this proclamation. We won't be able to implement our vision in our culture. Instead, we'll only accommodate. We'll be absorbed into our culture because the, the pull of our culture is so powerful. But you and I must be different because guess what? We are different. And we must trust God that our otherness from the culture and not our likeness to it is our most powerful asset. That our otherness is what God intends to use to draw people to himself. Listen, listen. There is no other God like our God. He is totally other. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? There is no Savior like our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is totally other. Do you believe that? There is no other way to salvation than the way that God has provided through Christ. It's so other. Do you believe that? He is a God who does what we have not thought to ask or imagine. As we read this morning, ours is a God who has prepared what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart of man imagined. Do you believe that? See, he is so other. And those who love him and follow him must not be ashamed of being other as well. I'm not advocating. Please hear this. I am not advocating withdrawal from our world or our culture. We can be with people. We must be with people. That's what God has placed us here for. It's one of the reasons he's filled us with his Holy Spirit. He's made us ministers of reconciliation. He's dabbed on us the aroma of Christ so that we can spread the fragrance of life wherever we go. I'm simply advocating an attitude that you and I have to have as we go into our culture. And I don't know how to picture it for you. Imagine yourself as Teflon, a Teflon Christian. You're in the world, but the things of the world don't stick to you. Maybe you want to call yourself a, a Crisco Christian. I'm, I'm going to stop there because it's, it's going downhill. But the point is, we're in the culture, but the things of the culture don't stick to us. I know that we as a church because of our intimate relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to join Abraham and to live as strangers and aliens and foreigners in this world. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter is even more insistent on this attitude and what he writes. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world. 
that's scattered throughout the world. 1 Peter 1.17, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. The NAS reads, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Why is Peter so urgent and insistent that we see ourselves and live our lives as aliens and exiles? Maybe it's because Peter was in the upper room with Jesus on the last night of Jesus' life when he told his disciples, Jesus said, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. The same night, Peter heard Jesus pray to the Father and say, For they are not of the world any more than I am the world. He prayed again that same night. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. And this is why Peter is urgent. He wants all believers, including you and me, to view ourselves as Jesus views us. He wants us to understand that because we are believers in Christ, because you are a believer in Christ, you are not of this world. Neither am I. Because when our eyes begin to view ourselves as Jesus tells us, we are. And as our tongues begin to acknowledge that we're not of this world, then our hearts and our minds begin to make different choices about how we live. The earth was unfamiliar to Jesus. He was an alien here. He didn't belong here amid the sin and the sorrow the suffering of this world. Heaven was his home. But he came to this foreign place anyway. Not because it was so comfortable, but because it was God's will that he come to seek and to save the lost. And so he chose to come, to live like an alien. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Stranger. Certainly sin was foreign. To Jesus, alien to him in every part of his being. He was the sinless one, completely unfamiliar with sin in his perfect sinlessness. And yet, and yet, he became sin for us. He became intimately equated with sin when he chose to take upon himself the sin of the world. He suffered not just discomfort, but agony on the cross for us. See, these are the choices. These are the choices that you make when you live for God and seek to do his will. Choices that are not easy. Choices that are not comfortable. Choices that make you seem like a foreigner or stranger, even among your very own people. Choices that unsettle and shake up your life. These are the choices that you and I must make when we live by faith in the Christ who made these kind of choices himself. 
These are the kind of choices that we must make if we ever hope to implement our vision of becoming community in Christ and of seeing that community expand as God adds to our numbers those who are being saved. That won't happen. It won't happen if you and I don't agree with God, if we don't speak His language here, if we don't embrace our otherness, if we don't stop attempting to accommodate so that we don't stand out as other in our culture. We are aliens. We are strangers. We are foreigners in this world. But remember this. Scripture says that Jesus did what he did. Jesus made the choices that he made for the joy set before him. And that joy for Jesus was returning to his father having obtained our salvation, filled Jesus with joy. Jesus didn't expect heaven on earth. Jesus expected heaven in heaven, and so must we. So let's take this first step. You know, acknowledge that we're exiles here, citizens in heaven. Let's embrace our identity so that we can hold on to our vision so that we can implement it in our culture, and so that we can make a difference for Jesus' sake while we are here. Let's pray together. Father, had you not been with Abraham, every step of that more than 1,200-mile journey he made, and all the back and forth in between for the rest of his life. Had you not been with him, he would never have made it. He would have never been able to live as a foreigner, an exile, a stranger. He would have given up. It's too difficult, too uncomfortable. I'm going back home. But Lord, you were with him. You empowered him. He placed his faith in you, and so he was able. Lord, so too will we be able to be like Abraham in our world. I pray that you would make it so, because we determine in our hearts that this is who we are called to be, because we make choices in our lives that reflect that we understand that call, and because your Spirit will enable us to be strangers, foreigners, aliens in this world. Lord, I pray that you would lessen the power and the pull of our culture in every one of our lives. Lord, it's a powerful thing. There are beautiful things in our culture around us. There are things, Lord, that uh, are ungodly as well. Wrong thoughts, thoughts uh, antithetical to you and to your word. They're ways of living, Lord, that the world says are beautiful, but that you say are not. And so, Lord, I pray that you would make those things increasingly more unattractive to us. Lord, it's difficult to convince ourselves of that, but we know, we believe, Spirit of God, that you through your power, 
and through the truth of your word can make it so for us. Lord, we do want to make a difference in this place for your sake. We want to be better disciples. And we want to see others become disciples of yours as we proclaim the gospel. So, Lord, however you will it and direct it and guide it, we pray that you would help us be your people in this world and that for it you would get the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.